The world of real estate investing is always changing. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, attorney and author Natalia Ouellette Grice has the expertise to provide valuable guidance on how to navigate the complexities of real estate investing. This is the Legacy Academy. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Legacy Academy. I'm your host, Justin Grice, the COO of LCO Law. And with me is my wife, attorney Natalia Willette Grice, the owner of LCO Law and author of Tax Deeds, How to Become and Stay Wealthy by Mastering Liens, Possession, and Marketability, and Florida Foreclosure Sales, How to Become and Stay Wealthy by Mastering Objections, Marketability, and Possession. Now, we are so excited to be back with you, and while we're not changing the format a whole lot, uh, we did want to branch out a bit due to the high demand of Natalia's real estate knowledge. Um, I think it's fair to say that a majority of our clients, be it for estate planning, asset protection, or what have you, are real estate professionals or real estate investors. Um, for our first episode of this season, we're going to start with one of the most basic yet often misunderstood concepts in real estate, and that is deeds. That's sure. I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misunderstandings, so we want to kind of have this episode as a myth-breaking barrier, right, to improve your business. Absolutely. Natalia, first of all, can you just explain what a deed is and what its purpose is? Sure. So uh, a deed, uh, as to its underlying nature, is a written declaration of the type of ownership interest that a person is giving and that another is receiving. Um, why is it written? Because in Florida and in the majority of states here in our country, we have what's called a statute of frauds, which requires that transfers and conveyances of interest in land be in writing and the the deeds serve a dual purpose right the first one is to give actual notice to the person that's receiving the deed instrument that they are in fact now receiving a new interest in land that they didn't have before the purpose of recording deeds is to give constructive notice, which means notice to the entire rest of the world that this conveyance, this transfer has in fact actually taken place and the nature of those interests that are being given. Awesome. Awesome. So can you explain a little bit what you mean by the recording of the deed? I don't know if everybody is, uh, you know, as well versed as you in that aspect. So you said that the deed is a conveyance and then you said that it's important to record because that's constructive notice. Can yes. you explain what that recording is? Yes. So, um, you know, properties are located sometimes in one or more counties. The important thing is to go to the clerk of the court county recorder's office where the property is located and to go give that deed instrument to the recorder so that they put it into their record and it now becomes part of official public records from now until, you know, the, the end of our government. <laughs> and the idea is that anyone and everyone can go look up based on the name of the parties and examine, and this is called the grant or grantee index, right? Examine, did such and such person actually give title to this other person? It's important also because in Florida, uh, the notice, right, and the priority of interest in property are based on when things are recorded. So if we fail to timely record things, then we are creating an issue of perhaps somebody else later on also conveying title to the same property, recording their interest first, and now your interest is going to be seen as inferior to those of the other person that recorded before you, even if you got a deed first. So being timely with recording the deeds that you receive is key. How long would you say it is an appropriate amount of time 
You know, how, how long do they not want to wait any longer than? <laughs> Don't wait any longer than, than you can. So if you can take your documents to recording that same day, do it then. Okay. And, and does it cost any money to record these deeds? Yes. So depending on the types of conveyance, uh, meaning the type of interest that's being given, the relationship between the parties, because all those things uh, are impact um, recording fees, and whether there's encumbrances on it, for example, like a mortgage existing on the property, the state of Florida will um, have its calculation for the tax that they're going to collect for recording. The government's always going to get their cut. (laughs) Yes. And there's also a per page fee involved in recording instruments. All right. So so people who are going to record those deeds need to be aware that, hey, bring your checkbook, bring your credit card. <laughs> yes. And the government's going to get their cut. Absolutely. And if you pay via credit card, most clerks will tack on a, a little percentage fee. So just be aware of For that. For convenience. Yes. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of information are you going to find on a deed? So... You know, I'm going to tell you what's mandatory, right? So mandatory on a deed, you've got to have a grantor, you've got to have a grantee, and you've got to have a legal description. What does this mean? A grantor is the person or people that are giving their interest to somebody else. Grantees are the ones that are receiving whatever the interest is. And the legal description is what makes a deed valid because, um, Property addresses change all the time. You, you, you'll see it, especially in the smaller counties, like, oh, there's a new subdivision. Now we're going to rename or renumber the streets. We're going to change the name of the street. So addresses are not a good idea on deeds to rely on it being an effective transfer. You really do need a legal description. What's a legal description? That's where you see something that says like lot, block, uh, subdivision, blah, 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 as recorded in plat book yada yada Mm -hmm. so that is a legal description another kind of legal description is a meets and bounds which is like uh you know section township range so and so and now you're gonna go north a thousand feet and then you're gonna go west 500 feet and you're gonna go south a thousand feet and you're gonna go east a thousand feet right your legal descriptions when they're meets and bounds really do need to close okay so it's got to be a shape that closes otherwise it's also ineffective so those are the mandatory parts uh, and then, of course, your deed's going to contain information saying what kind of deed is it, right? The type of title, the quality of title that's being given over to the grantees. Okay, awesome. So one one thing that I've seen on uh, uh, multiple deeds that have come across my desk, um, when, when they're naming the grantee and grantor, they say like, Mary Smith, a single woman, mm-hmm. and, you know, Carlos Ramirez, a married man. Is it important to have that distinction in there, yes. whether you're married or single? Absolutely. Um, this has to do a lot with Florida homestead law. Okay, so in order for a conveyance to not have what we call clouds on title, <laughs> the marital status of the individual tells us, do they need to have their spouse join in executing this deed or not? That is key uh, in making sure that we don't then have to do a quiet title litigation in the future. So it's really important that you get down the marital status of the people that are signing title over to you and that you are confirming it, right? (laughs) Because one of the big issues that arises and that's created a conflict for real estate investors is that they take people's word for it. Oh, no, 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 I got divorced. Uh, no, she doesn't need to sign. And, and it's nonsense, right? You need to verify, do your due diligence on that part. Ask for a copy of the final judgment of dissolution. You really do need to be very careful about marital status on a deed. Excellent. All right, so this next question is actually something that I Googled 
And because <laughs> I, I Googled it, I spent about 20 minutes reading about the difference between these and I still don't understand. So you're going to have to, you know, break this down for me. So what is the difference between a deed to a house and a title to the house? Okay. So if you're referring it as a deed and a title, that's kind of like an interchangeable use of the word. They don't actually mean the same thing. So the deed is the instrument. The deed's referring literally to the, the paper form. Yeah, the hard copy. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, title is the quality of what has been given from the grantor to the grantee. So title, for example, would be, you know, you get to have a life estate. You get to enjoy the ownership rights of this property until you pass away. That's title, right? Or maybe um, you and this other person are joint tenants with right of survivorship. That is the type of title that they've received. So it, the difference is what are you getting? That's title. And the deed is the paper form. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. It, it, it sounds like title is more of an abstract concept. Yes. Yes. And, uh, um, and the deed is more of a tangible yeah. in hand. It's the physical thing. Physical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Great. Um, what are the types of deeds that real estate investors might run into, you know, in, in their normal course of business? All right. So I'm going to name seven different types of, of deeds seven. that real estate investors might run into. Right. So start out with like warranty deed. Uh, they might run into a tax deed. They might run into a quick claim deed, a special warranty deed, a certificate of title, ladybird deeds, and probate orders also are a type of deed because they transfer title between an estate and the heirs or beneficiaries of the estate. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so what is a warranty deed? Those are, those are the ones that I see most commonly. Mm -hmm. um, what are they and what do they guarantee? So warranty deeds are, first and foremost, this is probably the kind of deed that you're going to get from a title company. Title companies also create special warranty deeds, but I want to talk about what a warranty deed is giving you and guaranteeing that makes it different from all other titles and makes it the ideal one, the one that like the end buyer in a transaction really desires. So a warranty deed has four guarantees and they're called season uh, the warranty against encumbrances, quiet enjoyment, and further assurances. Those are the four things that a warranty deed covers. So what's season? Season, it comes from the French word saison, uh, which means to have, right? And so it's the right to possess and convey. That means I, as grantor, am guaranteeing that I actually have the right to possess this property and to convey it. And therefore, that's one of the things that I'm guaranteeing to you in this deed. Number two, against encumbrances, right? That, that's saying, I am giving you this deed and it's a clean slate. It is not everything and anything that used to encumber this property, that used to be a, a lien against this property has been cleaned up. So that is the against encumbrances guarantee. Okay. Number three, quiet enjoyment. That means that I am guaranteeing to you that your title that I'm giving you is superior as to all other potential claimants. It doesn't mean that you don't get to have noisy neighbors. <laughs> it means that um, the title given is not going to disturb like your internal peace <laughs> <Right>. okay. <laughs> as to other superior claimants, right? And then finally, further assurances. That's the part where the seller or grantor is guaranteeing that they will defend 
not only against third-party claims, they're also going to make sure to volunteer and sign things that need to be done to correct errors. Perhaps there was an error in the legal description. Perhaps they forgot to put in their marital status. And so they're also further assuring that they're going to be doing this to clean up any title issues that might have been done due to a mistake. Okay. Okay. All right. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And so when, when real estate investors are looking at these deeds, they, they can rest assured if they have a warranty deed that they're not going to have to do a heck of a lot more going forward, legally speaking. Well, that, that at least they have these warranties in there so that they can sue the seller if any of those are broken. Okay. So Excellent. it's a contract. It is a yeah, contract. Yeah, deeds are contracts. Excellent. Um, so another uh, type of deed that we see all the time is a quit claim deed. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what this is and what its purpose is in like a real estate transaction? Sure. So quit claim deeds are probably the, the least safe kind of deed instrument that you can be handed, right? Because... It, all a quick claim deed does is say, whatever interest I might have in this property, I as grantor, I'm giving to you grantee. Well, that person might have no interest in the property. And so you're receiving nothing. Wow. <laughs> um, it, and the other aspect of it is that even if this person did have title to the property and they're con- conveying that to you via quick claim deed, because it has no guarantee against further encumbrances or quiet enjoyment or for assurances, that title is being transferred to you with all of the liens attached that might exist as a result of that seller's behavior. Sure. <laughs> um, and so if there's like a credit card judgment, you know, a, a judgment for not paying their child support, mortgages, tax liens, those are all going to attach with a quick claim deed and and now your property is going to have that responsibility over it. So it's really important to be careful with quick claim deeds. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like investors if they are going to receive a quick claim deed should probably do some due diligence yeah. and check into any uh, liens or encumbrances that might be on the property already because mm-hmm. they will ultimately become their responsibility, yes. correct? That is, that's exactly right. All right. Um we got a call last week from a person who was inquiring about a ladybird deed. Mm -hmm. And um, I've seen these once in a while. Can you explain what a ladybird deed is and what what may be some considerations before granting one? Sure, so ladybird deeds are sometimes called the poor man's estate plan. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a reason because the, the goal in creating a ladybird deed for people is to avoid probate litigation, meaning If they pass away, trying to have their heirs not need to open up a probate case to pass title to the property to their children or whomever is their loved one that they want to put on the ladybird deed. The the issues with a ladybird deed is that the moment that you grant it, right, the idea is that you as the grantor are retaining a life estate. What does that mean? That means that you get to enjoy the property and you get to live there and you get to possess it. Uh, You could even rent it out during your lifetime or the lifetime of another person. You don't have to pick your lifetime. It could be the lifetime of another individual. Um, And then there's what's created as a remainder interest. The remainder is what people typically pick as, you know, their their children, um, their nephew, you know, if they don't have kids, their significant other, if they're not married, right? Like that's the remainder interest. The problem is 
that there's a lot of pitfalls involved with a ladybird deed. Once you convey that kind of an interest, then with you can't sell the property as the grantor without those remainder interests joining with you. You can't mortgage it. You can't gift it. You can't cancel. You can't undo any of it um, without the joinder of all of those remainder grantors. And as we know from human behavior, relationships fall apart. Uh, your children might get in an argument. Uh, you might break up with that significant other. Your niece or nephew might pass away. So now you have to deal with their estate. These are all things that happen with creating a ladybird deed. So it's a poor man's estate plan, but it's actually a really risky, yeah, really it sounds risky very situation. Risky. Uh, and there's also potential gift tax consequences because if you are transferring, um, giving them an interest now in life, it could trigger the gift tax for the value of what you're giving them. And how is this gift tax calculation done? It's based on lifetime tax tables that the IRS produces. Um, and it's based on the age of the person giving or adding people as remainder interest holders. So ladybird deeds, really, really careful. If you come across somebody that says, yeah, I want to sell you, you know, my property and I have a ladybird deed, you've got to put a real big halt. <laughs> yeah. Because this person alone cannot sign that contract with you to sell you the property. All they could sell you is a life estate. <laughs> so you've got to be really, really careful with that. Okay. All right. Um, so another type of deed that you mentioned was a special warranty deed. Can you explain what that is and how it differs from just the standard warranty deed? The standard warranty deed sounded great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So what, what is the special warranty deed in So. A special warranty deed is very frequently used by real estate investors when they're selling their interest. And here's the reason why they, uh, you know, investors acquire real estate through all sorts of unique circumstances, right? You might've acquired it from a foreclosure or you might've acquired it from, um, an estate sale. You might've acquired it from an REO, right? So there's all these things and you don't really know or have the history relating to this particular piece of property that maybe prior owners did. So in a special warranty deed that, Further assurances guarantee in that you are only um, promising to defend against title claims that have to do with when you own the property. So it's special being limited to when you own the property as the grantor. That's it. You're not defending anything before that. All right. And, and is it only title issues that they are... Um... Yeah, yeah. Guaranteeing that against? So yeah. any other issues with the property... Are yeah, not included. Exactly, exactly. It's, I mean, anything that is being promised in the contract of a deed has to do with title issues, right? It's got to do with mortgages. It's got to do with encumbrances. It's got to do with errors in legal description. It's got to do with errors in, you know, again, missing those things like the marital status. Um, but that's the difference between a special warranty deed and a warranty deed. Now, with these special warranty deeds, can they be custom tailored or is special warranty deed a category that already has its own, you know, set of rules you could always uh, try to specify further but the reality is that most of these deeds are created through title companies they're still issuing an owner's title insurance policy and so it's more about you know what is that title insurance policy guaranteeing because when you're you're selling property right and you're using a title company you're essentially shifting that burden of the cost and expense of fixing title errors onto the title company like any other insurance. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, how does a property owner transfer ownership of a property through a deed? Okay. So 
the the act itself is is simple you know you you sign you have to have a notary you have to have two witnesses right but let's get into a little bit of the more of the nuance right one, it's it's got to be voluntary. <laughs> yes. No so, gun to the head transactions. Right. So a deed under duress, uh, you know, is 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 voidable. Um, you have to have capacity. Not just the grantor has to have the legal capacity to to sign and convey an interest in land. The grantee, the recipient of title, also has to have the legal capacity to receive title. So no, you can't be adding your minor children to title. That doesn't work. Um, and you can't be conveying title to somebody who's incapacitated because they have to be able to accept the title legally. Can somebody's personal representative, somebody's power of attorney convey title in their name if they're incapacitated? Yes. So if you have granted in a power of attorney the authority to another person to be able to convey your land, then that power of attorney can execute things on your behalf. But that authority had to have been given when you were competent right. under a power of attorney. Right. And does it have to be like, a, a, this is going to be part of their estate plan, their power of attorney and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Is this going to be, or do, do they have to specifically specify, you know, real estate transactions, yes. you know, things like that? Does yes. it have to be that specific? It has to be very specific. Powers of attorney have are, are required to have specificity in what you're authorizing your agent to do for you. Okay. So... A deed also has to have consideration, okay? The transfer of property, even if it's love and affection. That's true. It has to be stated. There has to be consideration, right? So there, there must be an exchange because, again, it's a contract, right? And right. contracts require offer, acceptance, and consideration, a value exchange for why it's being done. Without consideration, a conveyance fails as well. Okay, consideration is just the monetary value. It could be the monetary value. Like I said, it could be love and affection. If you're gifting something to your children, that's something. You literally in. write love you and affection. You literally write love and affection, yes. On the title, uh -huh. okay. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, if there's a transfer of ownership in the property, if it's somebody's homestead and they're married, their spouses must join in the conveyance. Otherwise, that deed's not valid. Okay. Okay. Excellent information. Now... What if there is an error on their deed? Do property owners have any recourse? Yes, right. So if there's errors on a deed, those errors are creating what are called in the legal world clouds, sure. right? It's like, just think about it. Like you go out there and it's a really foggy morning and you can't see past this. So these clouds have to be removed. That's what those errors are. Mm -hmm. And generally the, the way to remove clouds is to have a lawsuit that's called quiet title litigation to address those clouds. Now those clouds could be because, hey, you were checking out the history of your title chain and you saw a fraudulent deed. That's a cloud. Um, you were, you know, you took your things to a title company and they're like, oh, by the way, uh, yeah, sure, you received it from a company, but this company doesn't say on the deed what state they were formed in. And there's three companies with the same name from three different states. So we don't know which one gave you title, right? right. Um, so those are all cloud issues and quiet title litigation takes care of that. And it depends on the type of issue. Quiet title litigation could take, you know, six months to 18 months. Right. It's all about what the issue is. What about like errors in like a legal description? You know, somebody fat fingered the address and they got one of the digits wrong or something like that. Would you have to quiet the title on that for an error? You yeah, know. that's one of the basis, right? So quieting title because there's a Scrivener's error. Um, 
and then you might need to like reform a deed if there was an issue. So there's different causes of action for that, but they're all under kind of like the purview of this is a tidal cloud. We need to quiet this cloud, make it go away, clean everything up. Right. All right. That's great. You know, th this is great information for real estate investors um, because they're going to run into a lot of these different types of deeds. Mm -hmm. But finally, I want to ask you, like in your experience, what is one mistake that you see with respect to deeds that you want every investor who's listening to never do again? All right. So I, I mean, I like pickled over this. <laughs> And I would say like one of the biggest ones that I see here and largely because this being the retirement state for the majority of the United States, sure. um, I would say thinking that a quick claim deed from an heir is enough to become the owner of the property is one of the biggest, most expensive mistakes that investors make. And this is something that experienced investors make and inexperienced investors make. They think that, oh, you know, like so-and-so says they're the only heir to this. They're just quit claiming over their interest. Now I can do whatever I want with the property. No, you need to go through probate proceedings. And depending on how long the person that was last on legal title, like under a warranty deed, how long they've been dead, you could be facing potentially 30, 40, 50 heirs that you have to deal wow. with. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. That sounds like it could get expensive. It could get expensive. So, you know, if somebody says I'm the heir, halt, call a probate attorney and have them figure it out for you as to how many potential issues can arise. Uh, so is it fair to say that if they're going to accept a quick claim deed, they need to be aware of all the risk involved? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and all the potential expenses for the litigation. Um, all that needs to be factored into their right, but you know, potential heirs that come out of the blue, um, and you might become a co-owner with some of the heirs. You might have to have partition litigation after you do probate litigation, right? So it, it's that I would say is a really, really expensive mistake that investors make that I'd like for them to stop making. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast application. And then tune in every Monday to get more tips on how to avoid investing's legal pitfalls and take your real estate business to the next level. You can also find us online at lcolawfl.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Legacy Academy FL.